0: This evening, we're continuing in our study in the Gospel of Mark, and we come to the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 32. It's a really amazing passage of Scripture, so hear the word of the Lord. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. "'A man in the crowd answered, "'Teacher, I brought you my son "'who is possessed by a spirit "'that has robbed him of speech. "'And whenever it seizes him "'and throws him into the ground, "'he foams at the mouth, "'gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. "'I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, "'but they could not. "'You unbelieving generation,' Jesus replied, "'how long shall I stay with you? "'How long shall I put up with you? "'Bring the boy to me.' "'And so they brought him. "'When the spirit saw Jesus,' After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, what a story, right? Super vivid, very disturbing. Like, what, what, what is Pastor Brad going to talk about tonight, right? It's a, it's a pretty intense passage of Scripture. But I want to just tell you that, like, if you'll sit in this story, and we're going to walk through it, and we're going to, like, talk about some of the details here, But if you'll sit in this story, it it can actually really shape your understanding of what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Like, what does it really mean to have faith in him? What does prayer look like? Like, what does it mean to really be in a place where you need Jesus and to call out to him and to engage with him and for him to understand what you're going through? Like, what does it really mean to have a relationship with him? You know, as we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, uh, you know, I, Jesus does amazing things. And I keep coming back in my mind to thinking that, you know, Jesus is believably unbelievable, right? It's not hard to understand the concepts. Like, we see what's happening here. And, okay, maybe maybe we can believe some of, believe some of this and really say, okay, I believe that's true. But as soon as you believe it's true, it's unbelievable, right? Like, if this is actually true you're like, whoa, this changes everything. Right. Like the scriptures are significant. If what is being said in the scriptures is true, it really does change everything. It certainly did for this man and for his son and for everybody who was watching. This father who's absolutely desperate, if you're, if you're a parent, you know what this is like. You're desperate for your child to be okay from very being very small This boy has what looks like seizures as well as a demonic presence. And the father is undone. And what does he say to Jesus? I believe. Help my unbelief. That is so profound. And actually, for every Christian, that's an experience we all have, either weekly or really profoundly in certain moments. I believe. Help my unbelief. And every single character in this story we're going to talk about goes through this experience of I believe, but help my unbelief. Like there's some of this I can get on board with, but wait a minute. If this is true, it changes everything. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to enter into this story, and we're going to consider two big ideas of what what is prayer, like what does prayer then look like, and then what about faith? Like what about our faith journey? How does how does that work? Because what's being revealed in the Scriptures and the Gospels here, as Jesus is making his kingdom known, we're being invited to follow Jesus. What does it look like to follow him? And understanding what prayer is and engaging in it, and understanding what faith is and engaging in it, are critical to what we mean when we talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus, all right? So, let's look kind of more closely at this. Remember where we are. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 14, we come into this story. But what has just happened? Peter, James, and John, and Jesus have gone up onto a mountain, And they are there, and Jesus is revealed in all of his glory. And then in verse 7, we read this. A cloud appeared and covered them. Covers Peter and James and John and Jesus. They're all covered. And a voice comes from the cloud and says, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Like the father is giving some really clear instructions here. This is my son. You got that right. I love him. Listen to him. So that's where they've been. And then they're coming down the mountain, and they're kind of discussing this and thinking about it. You know, God the Father speaks so clearly about this. It's like a parent trying to warn their child or trying to give them a piece of information that they must know. Listen. Listen to him. So they're coming down. They're discussing it. They're like, we saw Elijah. That was nuts. We saw Moses. That was crazy. And they're all talking like they know each other. And we've seen this. Like it's a wow moment. They're amazed. Then Jesus sort of says, oh, by the way, again, I'm going to be rising from the dead. And they sort of discuss it amongst themselves and they're like, what is he talking about? Like, do you remember what just happened earlier? Like, Jesus just told them about this, right? I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna be rejected, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna rise again. They talk about it again here and Peter's like, so he keeps bringing this dead thing up. Like, what, what is that? Peter, James, and John walking down the mountain. They've had this experience. They've had a theological discussion about Elijah. Jesus keeps talking about suffering and dying and stuff, but then they come into this scene in verse 14 where they walk in and there are teachers of the law and there are disciples and they are arguing. They're having an argument. It is not like a debate or a discussion like... They're on one side and the other. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. And Jesus says, what are you arguing about? So the disciples, they're a big deal. The the teachers of the law, they're a big deal. Jesus is a big deal. He says, what are you arguing about? Verse 17, a man in the crowd answered, So, not not the Pharisees, not the disciples. A man speaks up. Teacher, I brought you my son, who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at the teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive him out, but they could not. Oh, that's what they're arguing about, right? This man has asked the disciples, hey, can you take care of my son? No one can help him. The teachers of the law are there, and they're like, you said, teachers of the law, saying to the disciples, you said, Jesus said, you guys could cast out demons, that you could restore someone, that you can heal them. This is proof that you are not who you say you are. And the disciples are like, well, you didn't see us earlier because we were totally doing this. But they can't do it. And so they are in an argument. And Jesus walks in and says, what are you arguing about? And then this man speaks up and he makes his case before Jesus. And then Jesus, like a great physician entering into an intake session, right, he, in verse 21, Jesus asks the boy's father, how long has your son been like this? And he says from childhood. He's often, he's often thrown into water, into fire to try to kill him. The demon does this. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And so Jesus is interacting with him. He's listening to the man. Tell me what's wrong. Communicate with me. What's happening? And he communicates. And then he says, if you can help us, please help us. And Jesus' response If you can, question mark. Wait a minute. What do you mean if you can? And then Jesus says, everything's possible for one who believes. Now what's happening there is Jesus is not being snarky with this man. He's saying, wait a minute. I am sent from my father. Remember we just read about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1 earlier? He's over all things. All things are created through him and by him and for him. He's head supreme over all things. And this man says, well, if you can help my son. And Jesus goes, wait, you're not seeing who I am here. You're not seeing who sent me. Everything is possible for one who believes. Then, verse 24, immediately, uh, the boy's father exclaims, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Like the moment Jesus holds out hope, and this man is starting to believe it, but then he's hearing Jesus say, well, maybe you don't believe it. Like, wait a minute. He goes, no, 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 I believe, but help my unbelief. It's a paradox. And if you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, you know what that's like. Like, I believe that God wants me to love everyone. I don't do that all the time. I believe God wants me to be gracious to people who don't deserve it because he's gracious to me. I don't do it all the time, right? Like, I believe, but I don't believe. This man's going through the same experience. And know, for the first time, this father's being given some hope. Maybe someone can help my son. The disciples couldn't help him. The teachers of the law couldn't help him. And then they just argued about it. Maybe Jesus can help him. His faith is weak, for sure. He's struggling. He's probably thinking to himself, maybe this is too good to be true. Like, I've, I've wanted him to be healed before, but what do I do now? I do believe. Help me overcome my belief. And then Jesus does it. Jesus sees a crowd running to the scene. In verse 25, he rebukes the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. So verse 25, people are interested and they start showing up. Now, if you go back to the beginning, verses 14 and 15, this is one of the only times the crowds respond to Jesus coming into the town with excitement. Like they're not coming over there to hear about the argument between the disciples and the Pharisees. They've heard about Jesus and they're like, Jesus is here. And so they rush over. But then it's a smaller crowd, and then all of a sudden, this larger crowd begins to come. But it's different than the first one, because what we read is is that Jesus sees a crowd was running to the scene, and he rebukes the spirit. Like Jesus is, he doesn't want this to be like a spectacle for everyone. He moves in, the spirit shrieks, convulses him violently, comes out. The boy looks so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And so Jesus enters in, hears what's going on with this man, his faith is weak, and then he heals him. Verse 30, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he, because he was teaching his disciples. So Jesus goes through this experience, and then there's a little conversation that happens that we haven't discussed yet, and then they go off and he wants to teach them more. Do you see what's happening here? This is a relationship. Jesus is walking with his disciples. He's engaging with them. He's teaching them. He's inviting them to understand. He's inviting them to express faith. He's actually revealing something to them very profound about the reality of what their faith is like. I believe. Help my unbelief. In verse 28, we get this little bitty scene change. After Jesus had gone indoors, okay, so the boy's there. Jesus raised him up, and then, verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, so why couldn't we drive him out? You see, this has been the debate for the entire passage so far. The disciples are confused, because Jesus was able to do something, he told them they could do it, and then Jesus says, come out, and the demon obeys. And they're like, what happened? I think we need to recharge, like something's, it's not working. Why didn't it work? Verse 29, he replies, this kind can only come out by prayer. Now, when the disciples are trying to cast this demon out with this boy, I just kind of assumed when I was you know, reading it, oh, well, obviously they prayed. Right? Like, obviously they asked God for help to do this, right? What's Jesus' response for why they cannot cast him out? This kind can only come out by prayer. You know, essentially what they were trying to do was meet someone's need on their own strength. Jesus had told them to do it, of course. But Jesus says, you failed to do the one thing that you need to do, to pray. Do you remember what happens there Um, in verse 19? He says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Jesus is talking to the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because they should know the truth. They know the scriptures backwards and forwards. And he's talking to the disciples because they've been walking with him and they've seen all these incredible things. And Jesus is saying, how much longer before you understand? And then he gives them the key, the key to how to solve this problem. What is it? Bring the boy to me. Fast forward to verse 28. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replies, this kind can only come out by prayer. There is something so profound about prayer. This example here shows us a little bit about that, that somehow, when we pray, we access the very heart of God in a, in a very real way, that God is interested in having a relationship with us. Don't, don't overlook that. You know in, in the context of bringing our hearts to God, God engages. So two ideas. How does prayer work and how does faith work? Thinking about prayer for a minute. Prayer is really easy, right? You talk to God. Prayer's really hard, right? How often do you do it, right? You know, anytime we're singing together in this church, anytime we're saying the confessions together, anytime we're reading the scriptures together, right now we're pondering the things of God and what Jesus said. That's all prayer. God is inviting us into a relationship where we're experiencing prayer as a regular part of our lives. You know, in in my life, sometimes in the morning I get up before anyone else, and I pray. Sometimes I'm not the first one up, and I'm praying on the way to work. Or before I go into a meeting, I'm praying. Or if one of my kids tell me they have something big going on, I just pray for them and think about them. God is interested in every element of our lives. And the reason is is because prayer is a key to cultivating our relationship with Him. If you feel distant from God, if if you're hearing these stories and you're thinking, I just don't have a real relationship with Jesus, I want to submit to you And challenge you to think about doing something as simple as talking to him. To pray. To to experience communicating with him. Again, think about this story. With the transfiguration, what happens? The father says, this is my son. I love him. Listen to him. Like, hear him. He doesn't just say obey him. He says listen to him. Take in what he's saying. Think about Jesus as he approaches this man who's desperate for his son to be healed. What does Jesus do? Jesus could have just said, oh yeah, no problem, done. What does he do? Tell me what happened. Tell tell me what's going on. Jesus knows what's going on. He says, tell me. The man says, well, if you can help, please help. And Jesus goes, if I can, I'm the son of God. And he goes, right. I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus does. This man's faith is so weak and Jesus is so gracious. The experience of prayer gives us access to walking into that kind of experience ourselves where we are actually cultivating our relationship with God. If you don't know how to pray, I've got good news for you. Just come to church every week at least. Read, the, you know, read our worship services and think about those things. Read the scriptures. All of this is meant to give us language to be able to communicate with God, to enable us to pray. You know, a prayer is essentially us saying we want to cultivate our relationship with Jesus. We want to experience life with Him. We want to know Him. Now, my birthday's this month, big 45, right? Maybe I'm halfway there. I don't know. You never really know. But I'll be 45, and I'm thinking about my birthday. And you know what I'm excited about for my birthday? It isn't that it's 45. What I'm excited about is I know that I'm going to have dinner with Avery and William and Walker and Jamie. We're going to have dinner together. We're going to spend time together. And we're going to actually be present with one another, interacting with each other. Now, sometimes when we have dinner, someone will pull their phone out. And they start texting or they start communicating. And I can like, say completely ridiculous things to them and they don't hear any of it. right? Or sometimes I'm on my phone. And someone walks into my office or I'm sitting down somewhere and they'll talk to me. And I don't even recognize they are there for a few seconds. I'm like, wait, what? There's a difference between being present with God and being with him. It's not enough to just be present. The crowd who was amazed at who Jesus was, they were present. They were like, ooh, super cool. This is amazing. That's not enough. What does it really mean to cultivate a relationship with Jesus? Prayer's key to that. Tim Keller wrote a book on prayer called Experiencing Intimacy and Awe with God. And he says there are a couple different concepts that you should see in your prayers, all right? One is a communion-centric nature to your prayers, and one is a kingdom-centric nature. There should be an element of communion and an element of the coming kingdom. So for communion, it's this idea of actually communing with God, reading the scriptures, pouring out your heart. Telling Him what you're afraid of. Tell Him what you're excited about. Tell Him what you're longing for to actually engage with Him. That is a really important element to prayer. But there's also this kingdom level sort of element to our prayers where we're praying for God to do things. Maybe in our lives, like, God, please help me pass this test, right? Um, Lord, please be with my mother who's sick. Father, please bless our church because we're trying to rebuild it. Like God wants to engage in that way. But one of those things without the other, you're you're missing part of the relationship. God's inviting us into an actual relationship where we're entrusting ourselves to him because he is who he says he is. What's God like? Look at Jesus again. It's hard to read this text, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 32, and not just see how tender and empathetic Jesus is. There's a big fancy argument going on, and Jesus could have jumped right into that argument. What does he do? The man who interrupts, who the argument's really about, Jesus completely focuses on him, and it becomes all about him, and and bringing to him an understanding of God's deep desire to have a relationship with him. He restores his son, and then he talks with his disciples. And they're like, man, we did everything right. We've done it before. What did we miss? And Jesus says, well, this this can only happen through prayer. You know, when you're praying, you're actively saying, God, I need you to show up for this to to be significant. I need you to show up for this to be accomplished. I need you to show up in order for this to be meaningful. What's really hard for us is when God doesn't answer our prayers like we think he should. That's, That's when it gets really tough. But part of what we're learning here, and it's what the Father says to Jesus this is my son, I love him, listen to him, right? That's that's God's will, that's God's will all the time. He always desires for us to experience his love, he always desires for us to experience his care and his tenderness, but there are times in our lives where even when we're praying sincerely, that God doesn't give us what we ask for, and we, we have like two choices. A, I don't understand what God's doing, and so he must not be who he says he is, or B, I don't understand what God's doing, but I trust him because he's good. You know, this is something I really think needs to happen. It's not, God must not be hearing me. Or, I've been praying for this. I've been longing for this. God has not answered it like I wished he would. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to trust him. See, that's the difference between prayer and faith, right? Faith is actually believing that God is who he says he is, even when our hearts tell us, uh, maybe you should doubt. Again, I believe, help my unbelief when you think about faith we've talked about prayer when you think about faith how would you describe your faith what does it mean to have faith part of it means i'm entrusting myself to what god has said i'm entrusting myself to who jesus has said he is but sometimes i don't trust him for who he says he is i believe help my unbelief if you think about this text there's all these different obstacles to faith there's spiritual obstacles in this text. There's physical op- obstacles in this text. There's reputational obstacles in this test, text. There's emotional obstacles in this test. There's even situational obstacles. There's different things that are challenging if God can be trusted in this moment or not. The Pharisees are struggling with it because they, they think they know who God is, but he's not acting like they think he should. So they're struggling. The disciples, they say they have faith in Jesus, but then they they don't even think to pray when it comes to helping this young boy, so they're still processing. The father believes Jesus can do something, so he comes to Jesus and says, Help my unbelief. And Jesus immediately answers his prayer. You know, the journey of faith includes with it kind of this mantra I believe, but help my unbelief. If you were to sort of outline what it means to really believe, how would, you do, how would you begin to describe that? And if you've never done that before, I want to encourage you to think about that. Like what scriptures would you go to to think about, okay, this is what it means for me to have faith. There's lots of scriptures about this, but let me read to you one. This is from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says this, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So the writer of Hebrews is saying our faith, that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I've never seen the person of Jesus Christ, right? Why do I hope in him? Because of what the scriptures have said. Because of what he's revealed in his word. I'm hoping in what is not seen. That's that's part of the journey of faith. What do we really put our hope in? What do we really put our faith in? Writer of Hebrews, if you've never read chapter 11, you should do it. It's the hall of fame of faith, right? By by faith, Abel uh, brought God a better offering than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so he did not experience death. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Do you see that? It's always been part of God's relationship with people from the beginning that there's this necessary element of faith. And what faith isn't is God answering to all of your questions before you believe he is who he says he is. That's not faith. What faith is is reading Mark chapter 9 and saying, okay, this is who Jesus says he is. Do I believe it? Jesus has made these promises to me. Will I engage with them? Jesus calls me to pray because he says it cultivates my relationship with him. Will I do that? That's why we say the Lord's Prayer every week. We're seeking to cultivate our, our faith through prayer. You know, in, in Mark 9, Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, this is really interesting because part of what's going on is you see where sometimes we put our faith. For the teachers of the law, they're putting their faith in their knowledge. They know everything, and so that's, that's where our faith is. And if, if our knowledge at some point doesn't agree with who God is, it must be that God's not who he says he is, and That referring to Jesus. For the disciples, they're like, well, we've experienced Jesus, we've done these things, and, but we're not able to do the things we think we're supposed to do, so something's off here. And so they ask, you know, what, what's wrong? Now, if you remember earlier, they confronted Jesus on his opinion. Do you remember Mark chapter 8? Jesus says, I have to suffer, I have to die, I have to um, be rejected, and then I'm going to rise again. And then Peter confronts him and rebukes him. How does that go for Peter? Not well. Jesus says, you couldn't have been more out of sync with who I am. Get behind me. But then he takes Peter and shows him who he really is. And then he brings Peter down into this um, experience of seeing him at work with this demon-possessed boy. And they're still not getting it. In other words, I believe. Help my unbelief. I've had lots of people as a pastor come to me and say, you know, I I believe, but I'm struggling to believe. I'm like, well, that's exactly where you're supposed to be. This is a journey of faith. Jesus is inviting you, when you're struggling to believe, to, ac- to access him. How? By prayer and asking for faith. I believe. Help my unbelief. Part of what Jesus wants to offer us is strength. Strength to pray. Strength to believe. Where do you draw your strength from? Listen to this quote. This is Vincent van Gogh. He said, as we advance in life, it becomes more and more difficult, but in, fighting the, but in fighting the difficulties, the inmost strength of the heart is developed. Well, yeah, until it's not, right? That doesn't work forever. Marcus Aurelius, you know, the Roman emperor, he said this, you have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this, and you will find strength. Well, that's easy to say when you're the emperor. That's really not the real world for most of us. J.R.R. Tolkien put it this way. He said, Deep roots are not reached by the frost. Do you know what he's saying in that statement? Deep roots are not reached by the frost. The part, Jesus is giving us something here that is so significant and so meaningful that he wants to have a relationship with us that even the deep, fruit, the deep frost can't reach the roots. Now, the roots go deep into something and draw nutrients. Where do you draw your strength from? Where do you draw your hope from? You know, where are you looking to, to satisfy your life and to bring hope in the midst of a deep frost? Prayer and the expression of faith, Jesus is inviting us into a relationship where through those things, it is strengthened. The reality is, though, how am I doing here? Okay, the reality, though, is that our faith is a little bit of a paradox because just think about this. I believe, help my unbelief, like, that, that seems to be a little bit conflicting, right? But look at each of the characters in this story. The scribes and the teachers of the law, they say, Jesus, you're not who you say you are. Why do they want to come argue about it all the time then? Like, they're struggling. They're like, there's something here, but, but you're, you need to be quiet. Like, th- this, is, this is not right. If Jesus would have told them he was like an earthworm and he was crawling around the river, I don't think they would have gone and looked very often. Jesus is doing something that's making them say, oh, I don't believe, but like there's some belief here. Or consider the crowds. They're amazed at Jesus. As soon as they see him, they come and they watch. But again, being a spectator is not enough. The disciples, how is their unbelief and belief being worked out? Well, we've talked about it a little bit, but as you read here, just think about the personal nature of this discussion. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, so why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we do what you asked us to do? This kind can only come out by prayer. If you want to cultivate your relationship with Jesus, there's no way you're getting around it. You're going to have to actually spend time with Him, communicating through prayer. Spend time with Him to learn to express faith in what He said and what He's done and His promises for us. The response of the boy. The boy who's demon-possessed, he's on the ground, he appears to be dead, and yet even he has a response. And what's his response? Jesus raises him up. He takes his hand and he raises him up. And it's the same concept of resurrection. There's a foreshadowing going on here about what happens when Jesus encounters dead things. Jesus is in the business of making dead things come to life. He brings renewal in places we think it not possible for there to be renewal. Now, part of our question, kind of in this community and culture, we need to ask ourselves like what are what do we really think our roots have to go into in order to weather the deep frost? Like what is that? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's beauty. Maybe it's intelligence. Maybe it's accomplishments. Like what are the things you have to absolutely have to feel worth being listened to? Jesus is actually saying Every single person who wants to experience a relationship with him, it's not about what you've accomplished or not accomplished. It's not about what you have or don't have. It's about the reality that he is inviting you into a meaningful relationship with him. Now, let me close with this illustration. I'm sure you all, if you haven't read about this, there's like a ton of different rumors about what Steve Jobs said in his final moments, the guy who made the iPhone. You know, some of you may not know who Steve Jobs is if you're too young, but I know you know what an iPhone is, right? Right? There's all sorts of rumors about what he said. One of the rumors was this, that he said this, and it's been proven to not be what his last words were. He said, it says this, In other eyes, my life is the essence of success, but aside from my work, I have little joy, and the end of, of wealth, is the, the fact I'm wealthy is just a fact of life to which I'm accustomed. At this moment, lying on the bed, sick and remembering all my life, I realize that all my recognition and wealth that I have is meaningless in the face of imminent death. Well, that's a true statement, but it's, it's actually not what he said. His sister gave a eulogy in 2011, and she said this. Steve's final words hours earlier were monosyllables, repeated three times. Before embarking, he'd look at his sister Patty, then for a long time at his children, and then at his life's partner, Lorraine, and then over the shoulders, over their shoulders past them. But Steve's final words were, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Now, maybe you've heard that before, and I've thought about it. I don't know what Steve Jobs saw, but it was enough for him to say, oh, wow, three times. Do you know that God doesn't want you just to have one moment in your life you're impressed with? He doesn't want you just to get to the end and think, oh, you know what? God was right all along. Like God has joy for you today. He desires you to experience peace through a relationship with his son today, he's inviting you into believing that his power is so big that he even can care for you wherever you are. There's enough people in this room um, where there's probably really, really great days today, as I was talking about earlier, and there's probably been some really, really, really difficult days. What I know is is that the Jesus that we're reading about in the scriptures has grace sufficient for you. He's so powerful; he's able to hear from his father say, "This is my son." I love him, listen to him. He's so powerful that even if there was a demon-possessed boy who had thrown himself into fires and into water and almost died several times, Jesus, with the, by the word of his power, can completely restore him and renew him. As we've read in the Gospel of Mark, the things that Jesus has done, they tell us Jesus is this big, which is meant to tell you Jesus is sufficient for you, that his grace is sufficient for you. How do you access it? Prayer and faith. Communing with God, reading the scriptures, communicating your heart's desires, but then also exercising faith. And if your faith is weak, join the club. I believe, help my unbelief. God is inviting you into a relationship where his grace is sufficient for you. All right? Let me pray for us. Lord, this evening as we think about Jesus' words to the Father who is desperate, And we think about his words to his disciples. We think about his words that he heard from his father. That you are inviting us into relationship. That you desire for us to experience your grace sufficiently. That you're one who doesn't come to just um, hear us and then ignore us. But you're one who comes to hear us and invite us not just to listen but to be listened to. And we pray even as we consider this story, Lord, from Mark chapter 9, that you would move in our hearts to hear Jesus' words that all things are possible because God is good, that his grace is sufficient for each of us at this very moment, Lord. Would you work through your spirit as we reflect on these things and go with us in Christ, and we pray, amen.